Well, it's hard to read the papers today or see the news without hearing more and more about stroke. We seem to be hearing about this more with people of even younger ages than we've ever heard before. My guest today is Dr. Raymond Turner. He's a neuroendovascular surgeon with Prisma Health. Dr. Turner, tell us a little bit about the current state of stroke today. What's the prevalence? Are you seeing more or less strokes? Hi, thank you for having me on. Uh, We are definitely seeing more stroke, and I believe part of this is a reflection of the positive impact we've had on the community in terms of educating people about the signs and symptoms of stroke, so they are getting to the hospitals earlier uh, in their symptoms, but I also think it's because our baby boomers are older. And so the population of people that are most likely to have a stroke uh, is larger. And so we are seeing uh, an uptick in stroke, uh, not just in the U.S., but also in in Europe and, and in Asia. Wow. While awareness is being raised about those symptoms, you are seeing more, and that's so interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about some of those risk factors that people may not be paying as much attention to as they should. But before we do, Dr. Turner, what is a stroke? Tell us about the different types. Yes. So there are two types of stroke. There is an ischemic stroke where we are blocking off blood flow to the brain, and then there's a hemorrhagic stroke where there's actually a bleeding into the brain from a a broken blood vessel. The ischemic stroke is most common. It's about 88 to 90% of all strokes in the United States, where the other 10% or so are hemorrhagic stroke. But if you look in the Asia population, the split's actually 80-20. And I think that has to do with differences in certain risk factors and genetics between, uh, you know, the Asian population versus the European and, and U.S. Uh, population. That's really interesting. And and so while we're talking about those risk factors and genetic, in light of what we've seen in the media, and as I said in my intro, you know, recently a young celebrity suffered a stroke and died from it. Tell us, is there a correlation between one's age? You mentioned the aging baby boomers and having a stroke. Can younger people have them? And if so, why? Yes. Younger people can absolutely have uh, a stroke. And there are some things in our genetics that we simply just can't modify um, that increases our risk of stroke, just like it does increase our risk of heart attacks. But the vast majority of our risk factors towards stroke are modifiable. They have to do with our lifestyle habits of are we active or are we sedentary? Are we smokers? Are we not smokers? Are we eating healthy? Are we controlling our blood pressure? Are we very diligent about diseases such as our high cholesterol, diabetes? Uh, are we getting enough sleep? Are we actually treating sleep apnea, which increases the risk of stroke? So there are a lot of things that we can be doing in our lives that are going to decrease the risk of stroke. And one of the unfortunate things, if you look at, for example, obesity maps over the decades, it is we saw a large trend of increased obesity in adolescents uh, going back the last 40 years. Well, the problem is those kids are now 40 and 50 years old. And I think this is part of the reason why we're seeing an increase in stroke in the younger population, you know, people that are under the age of, let's say, 60. And, and that's because we didn't do enough with our kids and as we were young adults to modify our healthy behaviors. And we're starting to see us pay that price a little bit as a population, as a community, uh, you know, in today's society. 
Isn't that amazing, that correlation? We're seeing that obesity epidemic affecting so many different parts with heart disease and diabetes and blood pressure. We're seeing that in younger and younger people. And as they get older, then we're going to see these diseases that didn't used to show up until someone was in their 60s, 70s, 80s and beyond. That's kind of really amazing. So let's talk about symptoms, because that seems to be where that awareness campaign is. Tell us what we would recognize and why time is so important that we recognize those symptoms and get help immediately. When somebody is suffering a stroke, the classic sign is weakness of the face, arm, or leg that starts all of a sudden without warning. It's usually painless. Uh, You can have difficulties with speaking or understanding spoken words. You may appear confused to other people. Um, or at a loss for words. These things all happen out of the blue without any warning, uh, and it's often painless, which is one of the sad things about stroke. If you look at heart attacks, because they hurt so much, people typically will immediately call 911. They'll look for medical attention because of the crushing chest pain. But with stroke, because it's painless, because some strokes affect your ability to recognize part of your body that may not be working, people a lot of times will dismiss it or they'll think that they're tired or they think that they're distressed. And and unfortunately, dismissing uh, the early signs of stroke uh, can have a negative impact on your long-term health because the sooner we can open up a blocked blood vessel or the sooner that we can take pressure off the brain from a bleeding episode in the head, the more likely you're going to have a good outcome and return back to your normal uh, state of health, uh, you know, quicker. So it's critical that we treat stroke as fast as we can. And if you look at patients that are having a severe uh, stroke from a blocked blood vessel, every minute you can save in the treatment of that stroke adds a week to that person's life. Wow. So tell us that acronym that we should know. So the acronym is ACT FAST. So face, arm, speech equals time. And so if you have weakness in the face, or arm, or leg, or if you have difficulty speaking, you need to get medical attention immediately. And if they act fast, as this acronym suggests, and they notice somebody's having slurred speech, or their face is drooping, they can't raise their arm, any of these things you've just mentioned, do they call 911 or try and drive their loved ones to the hospital? Because can EMS do something in advance to alert the stroke center that this is happening? Yeah, they really should call 911 for for a couple of reasons. One is the treatment of stroke is extremely specialized, and it requires a lot of resources for hospitals to provide. And so not every hospital is built the same. And and therefore, when it comes to stroke, EMS are the ones that really understand what is the best hospital for that person to go to uh, to get the best possible care. If they're having a mild stroke, there may be more options for that patient that may be quicker to get to. So if they're having a severe stroke, it's critical that not only do they go to the right hospital that has the resources to treat the stroke, but the EMS services can also alert the hospital so that way when they arrive at that patient, all the resources are already gathered together, ready to go to operationalize the treatment of this patient's stroke. And so it requires a huge team of people to effectively treat the stroke. And this pre-notification to the hospital It's really one of the critical steps in being able to identify and treat the stroke as quickly as possible. 
give us a brief overview of some of the treatments that the Stroke Center would use once we get there. We've heard these terms, TPA and mechanical thrombectomy. What are these and how are they used to help stroke patients not suffer so many of the devastating effects? Absolutely. So, so when a patient first arrives to the hospital, the first thing we got to understand is what kind of stroke are we dealing with? Okay, so that often involves a, a CAT scan, which is a, an imaging of the brain that takes roughly 20 seconds to obtain. Once we understand what kind of stroke it is, if it's an ischemic stroke, then there are two options. One is we can give a clot-busting drug like TPA to help dissolve the clot. And that works really well for people that are having a very small stroke or if the blood vessel that's blocked off in their brain is extremely small. But unfortunately, there's a large number of patients that are having a stroke because a large blood vessel is blocked. And these are giving patients really the most severe types of stroke. And in that case, those patients really need to have that blood vessel opened up from within the blood vessel. So that requires a procedure where we go into an artery either through the wrist or through the, over the hip, and we go all the way up to the brain, and we perform what we call mechanical thrombectomy where we physically remove the clot and restore blood flow immediately. And it's critical that all these steps and processes happen, not just in sequence, but also as quickly as possible in order to get the best outcome for the patient. Isn't that fascinating that you're able to do that and along with TPA can really benefit patients and improve outcomes. What is life like after stroke? Does having one put you then at risk for another? What is that like for the patient if they have successfully survived their first stroke? What do they do next, doctor? So the next step after somebody has a stroke is we need to understand why do they have a stroke. Do they have something uh, affecting the rhythm of the heart that could lead them to a higher risk of having another stroke? Uh, Is there a problem with one of the valves on the heart? Do they have narrowing of arteries in their neck? So trying to understand the etiology or what caused the stroke is critical to preventing the next one because once you do have a stroke, you are a little bit more likely to have another one, especially if you have something structurally or or rhythmically wrong with the heart. So it's important that we understand uh, what is going on. The other thing is we really need to institute uh, post-acute stroke care. So get people on the right medications, make sure we're aggressive with the blood pressure, aggressive with their cholesterol, their diabetes, put them on an aspirin and also the recovery and rehab stage. Despite all our best therapies, still about one in four and one or one in five people will die from their stroke. And so it's critical that we are aggressive in treating stroke, we're aggressive in identifying the signs and symptoms, and we're getting patients to the right hospital the first time so that we can be successful in helping as many patients as possible when they have a stroke. It's great information. It's so important for listeners to hear. Wrap it up for us, Dr. Turner, what you would like listeners to take from this segment so that you can raise awareness. And while we know and are learning more and more about the symptoms, risk factor and preventions seem to be one of the mainstays of of what what we need to be driving home. Absolutely. So I think the first thing is know your numbers. Go to your doctor and really understand what is your blood pressure, what is your heart rate, what is your rhythm of your heart, what is your diabetes and your body mass index, and these things that we can actively modify and have the doctors work on getting you on a wellness and a fitness plan that's going to decrease your risk of stroke and heart attack. Number two, you need to understand what the signs and symptoms of stroke are, which is weakness in the face, arm, and leg, difficulty speaking, 
And you need to understand that not just you need to know this, but the people that you live around you need to know this because there's a good chance that if you are having a stroke, you are not going to be capable of calling for help and you're going to be relying on somebody else recognizing the signs and symptoms of stroke and, and calling 911. Three, you need to know what resources are available. The highest level of care for a stroke patient is at a hospital that is comprehensive stroke certified. And there's roughly several hundred of these hospitals in the country. In South Carolina, there are three. There's Prisma Health in the upstate, Prisma Health in the Midlands, and the Medical University of South Carolina. You're going to want to know where your resources are, so that way you can help facilitate and help get to the right hospital the very first time, because delays in transfer between hospitals, we know, has a negative impact on stroke patients. Number four, make sure you have medical information available. It is important for us to know if you're on medication that thins your blood, or if you're on rhythm drugs, or if you're on blood pressure drugs. And so keeping that stuff available is, is important uh, for us as clinicians. Uh, so that way we can aggressively treat you as fast as we can. Wow, you're a great educator, Dr. Turner. Really excellent, and thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us such great information. So important for us all to hear. Thank you again for joining us. For more information on stroke and symptoms of stroke, please visit ghs.org stroke. That's ghs.org stroke. I'm Melanie Cole. You're listening to Inside Health.